I, damn it. Why didn't if I should have looked at these notes earlier? Because I wrote a really nice sentence. A game about how we create meaning in objects. Why didn't I look at these notes? Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we discuss short video games, the kind of games that you can probably pick up and complete in an evening or a weekend. We finished this one in one sitting. But uh, also the types of games that tackle things that larger games usually don't or can't. Uh, this week we're talking about To the Moon, which is a sort of a hybrid adventure slash RPG game. Uh, it came out in 2011, uh, and uh, I'm excited to be talking about it today. I'm your host, Reagan, and I'm joined this week by Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing terrific. And, of course, by Shane Kelly, my true life bro host. How are you doing, Shane? I'm doing great. I don't know I said true life there. As opposed to second life. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to second life. He's, he's my World of Warcraft twin brother. Guys, I'm sorry, I'm no longer active in second life. <laughs> Shane, you've disappointed all of the short game listeners. I've given up my persona. <laughs> Yuck. I never signed on to that game or any other. Um, uh, I, I was never a World of Warcraft guy. Um, I never joined uh, even things like Clash of Clans. These large multiplayer things never truly appealed to me. But yeah. I did. I did Second Life for a couple of weeks and I actually got a great robot suit and then I quit because there was nothing to do with it. Yeah, there's really nothing to do in type in games like that, as far as I can tell. Like Second Life, you kind of have to make your own fun. I guess Minecraft is the is the like true successful version of that in a way. Less personality driven, that's for sure. That's true. So to the moon. How would you describe the game? To the Moon, uh, you play, at the beginning, two different scientists who are sent to grant a dying man's last wish. You accomplish this by going into the man's memories uh, using objects uh, that have a lot of meaning to that person and using those to jump through time backwards through the memories, uh, trying to accomplish his one wish, which is to go to the moon. They ask, why do you want to go to the moon? And he says, I don't know. So a large part of the game is not only trying to discover the meaning behind the objects you're using to go back in time, but also to, to recreate the meaning of this man's life. Why is this his dying wish? What is important to him? And what is important for him to die happy? On the other side, the game is a lot more playful. There's a lot of funny references. There's a lot of uh, humor between the two scientists. It is just their day job in many ways. Um, it is one of the many patients they've had. But you realize that this one is a very important case to this person. So there's a lot of balance of that uh, very sentimental, very uh, romantic, very um, meaningful interactions and jokes about animorphs. It exists side by side in this game. Yeah. Um, I came to this game expecting more RPG elements than I actually found in it. The game is made with RPG Maker, um, which is an RPG making toolkit slash, you know, IDE, I guess you kind of call it. It's mostly point and click, not a lot of coding as far as I understand. It's kind of a, a way of building RPGs for... Uh... There is a lot of coding actually in RPG Maker. It uses Ruby. Oh, really? I mean, although I definitely think it's designed to be an easy to, to use system, which which is an interesting thing that, you know, if you take a, a development environment or a game engine and you make it easy enough to use, uh, it becomes kind of that when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail situation. Mm, uh, yeah. And this game, this this engine, which is designed for making stuff that's sort of in the classic uh, JRPG style, uh, has been turned to other kinds of games, and this is a great example of that. Yeah, this game really, to me, feels paced and kind of designed more like a point-and-click adventure game. But it does have that traditional JRPG, you know, SNES-style graphics, top-down perspective. It looks like a RPG from the 90s, 
Um, but it plays a bit more like a point-and-click adventure game from... Uh, I-, I wouldn't say it's... From the 90s? <laughs> yeah, I think that... You say point and click, but I, I associate point and click adventure games with a much harder genre where you're, you're really looking for, um, you know, needle in a haystack, trying to have a bit of a puzzle putting things together. This is a very simple game. The point is the plot. The point is the story. It's very linear. There's no real deviations. Um, you know, you go get the five objects. Or you, you get the five memories that you can then use to unlock the next object to move back in time, for example. That's one of the games. There are some small mini games, kind of like like Bioshock, where you have a small mini game that just lets you accomplish your next goal. And there are little jokey mini games, um, mm-hmm. including one where it hints at the fact that it's made with RPG Maker, um, where you fight a squirrel very for about a second and a half, and then the squirrel leaves. Um, so there's little bits of things thrown in, but on the heart, you're just walking around, clicking on things, and reading text about them. The, yeah. the point of the game is to investigate this man's life, not to kill a dragon, or I, there's no even enemy in this game. A Kotaku article I read about the game from back in 2011 when it was released um, compared it, and I thought this was a really weird comparison and then it kind of made sense they compared it to scott pilgrim in that it's telling a very personal story using the language of video games and it's not that it has almost anything really to do with the way that scott pilgrim was told you know scott pilgrim used the the language of video games as kind of a a visual uh sort of humor uh this kind of uses this video gamey style you know it looks and plays like a 90s SNES RPG, um, just to kind of draw you into a story that doesn't really have a lot to do with that medium. It's not a very video gamey story, but it does uh, it does kind of use that to give you a, a path into the story. It's more than an interactive picture book or a story you might read on the internet. It's not a web comic with slight animations. It is a video game, and it feels like a video game when you're playing it, even though it's relatively minimally interactive. And I think they use some of the interface elements of a video game to the storytelling advantage. Like, as I mentioned, you're trying to grant this man's wish. You see um, his heart monitor every time you go to the menu to save... Um, to check any notes you get on the way, you, you get a little bit of a heart monitor at the top, just reminding you that he's still there, that that's what you're you're aiming for. Uh, they have um, small extra um, reminders when you open books of people's histories. It, it's they use little bits of video game um, interface design to support the story, but a lot of the story is very much you know you do the next step. There's not any choice. You don't actually affect the game much. You're going on the the line of the story. Yeah, you you definitely feel like you're in the kind of segment of a Chrono Trigger style RPG where you've gone into town, you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, except that you spend the entire uh, the entire game there. Uh, it it does kind of hold to all of those conventions pretty strictly, not just holding to kind of uh, the look of these kind of games, but you know the the way you walk around and talk to people uh, and get their you know one line of dialogue that like you do in a in a classic JRPG, or you know you uh, walk up to a bookcase and get the uh, the names of the books, and it tells you you know as you walk around and examine every object and talk to every person, and it does use this just sort of as a way to tell a story. And one of the things that I saw about Ken Gao, the director, from one of the articles uh, that I was doing, trying to kind of catch up on this game uh, before the show, was that he basically writes the story and then turns it into a game rather than kind of creating it all together as a game, which which is an interesting way of kind of telling that story. Yeah, you definitely feel like you are exploring a story written by somebody rather than creating your own story. And I think many games have the player as the protagonist, the player as the hero. In this game, you are enabling the hero who is actually in bed. Yeah. You are you are not playing the person who's the star of the show. You are just trying to execute someone else's wish. And the characters you play as, primarily the two scientists, are really just tools 
trying to sort out this man's life for him. Yeah, the 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 lead character is probably uh, John or Johnny, the uh, uh, the dying man, and that is a really interesting twist because I don't think I've ever played a game where I didn't play the lead character. So obviously we're sort of dancing around the story because we want to leave most of it for after the spoiler break and this will be an episode where if you haven't played the game our our spoiler break is going to be pretty shortly here and we'll discuss the story in depth because it is a, a pretty in-depth story. But before we do that, um, what can we say about the beginning of the story that won't feel too spoilery? Well, I guess you can say that you start off the story as uh, Dr. Rosaline and Dr. Watts, and they are from a company called Sigmund that a lot like you, you brought up Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I thought uh, of it more as Total Recall. Uh, it's 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 a yeah, it's a little bit of both of those. Uh, they've got a technology that can uh, change memories, and they're using it in a way. This company uses it to um, kind of bring comfort to the dying uh, by altering their memories in such a way that they feel like they've. Uh, accomplished their goals in life. Yeah, so they die without any regrets. So one of the quotes that I uh, took a screenshot of is, uh, people start things with a passion, but eventually they lose that initial drive and slow down. So the game says that we often don't complete the things we want. We don't complete our primary goals in life because we get old and forget them. And what they do is they go back in time and really reinforce that drive so that you don't ever forget what you really want out of life, that that's how they change people's lives. Hmm. I think they probably uh, turn a lot of old people into firemen. (laughs) Mechanically, the way that works is that the characters are putting on special helmets and literally sort of diving into the memories of uh, this dying patient. And that's really great for the, you know, conveniently for the gameplay, we get to actually stand there as our two doctor uh, protagonists and sort of watch these moments from John's life unfold. And we're doing it uh, in memento style from old, uh, from most recent to his earliest memories. And mechanically, what's interesting about that is that, you know, we have to we have to experience one memory at a time because you have to get into a slightly older memory, collect a bunch of objects that relate to an earlier memory, and then once you have enough of those, then we're jumped to a previous memory. Um, John's life seems like pretty sad, but it's also full of a lot of little mysteries at the start. And I thought that was the biggest strength of the story, is that it gives you a little bit of information about John, but, you know, so we know that John is an old man living alone in an old, in a big old house on a cliff, Next he lives with house. Lily and her two young children. Oh, excuse me. I'm, I was forgetting Lily. Yeah, Lily kids. is uh, his caretaker, I believe. And yes, she his has... caretaker has two small children who just play the piano and run around. Yeah. That's They're about it. Kind of they, they, they serve as uh, your guide to the house. Yeah. But his wife has passed, and we know this from the beginning of the game. Her name was River. Now, we don't exactly know what happened to River, and there's a lot of other mysteries as well. You know, uh, why he's living on this old cliff with this big lighthouse, and... Um, how hmm, sorry what other mysteries can we mention without spoiling anything he's got a locked room in his basement that's true well there's the biggest mystery which is why to the moon you know why does he want to go to the moon um why, that wasn't a mystery to me that's awesome <laughs> that's a very good point uh, it's a mystery to him though You're like why do you want to go to the moon i was like because the moon is incredible he's like i have no idea why i want to go to the moon hmm, maybe why the game player will figure this out <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And so our drive is to get into Johnny's past, discover why he wants to go to the moon. And apparently, as soon as we discover why he wants to go to the moon, we're supposed to then be able to get him there to uh, to carry that desire back to an older point in his in his memories and kind of reseed that desire, like Laura was saying a minute ago about how we need to go back and reinforce his desire to go to the moon. 
since the game is carried almost entirely on its story, it really is great that this story actually was pretty intriguing, and the mysteries actually did sort of work for me. So if you're wondering going into this if the story is going to be worthwhile, I'd say that largely it is. Um, a few other points about the game before we hit our spoiler break. It has really nice music. A lot of people praise this game for its music. Uh, it's sort of largely sort of a piano score. I'm pretty sure it's digitally produced. It didn't have the sort of life of a true piano player. I'm pretty sure that what this was was somebody programming piano notes into a, uh, you know, I don't know, garage band or something, because it didn't sound like a recording. It sounded like a digital piano piece. To me, it all felt like of a piece with the visual style of a of a '90s RPG. Uh, the sound was like the soundtrack to a to a well done old. Yeah, RPG. I kept thinking, you know, Secret of Mana, things like that. Mm, yeah. yeah, although with uh, with clearly a better uh, virtual instrument, you know, you, there was definitely more fidelity to the sound. And it's a very meditative. The music is a very zen in some ways. It, it's very calming and soothing. So even as you're you're investigating and all these things that in typical games you might get very um, you know pump up music, this game has no pump up music. It is very calm, chill, um, and very reflective, which suits the task of recreating memory. Mm -hmm. I'll be playing a lot of it during this episode, so you'll have a sense of what it's about. Also, before we reach the spoiler break, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about our impressions of the game. Obviously, we'll need to go into a lot of these in more detail after the spoiler break. But what really struck me about this game, so the reason that I played it, the reason that I thought it would be interesting to, to play for the show was its reception. And this game, when it came out in 2011, was incredibly widely praised. I looked up dozens of articles, essentially all of them said this was one of my favorite games I played this year, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, um, you know, all sorts of incredible praise was heaped on this game. Do you guys think it lives up to that? I, I think looking at it now, I think I have a little bit of a different perspective on it than the people in 2011 might have, because we've seen more better story-driven short games in this kind of mode since 2011. And so I wonder how much of that incredible praise came from the fact that this was a very early game to do what it's doing. Um, do you guys think it lives up to that praise from 2011? Is this still something that people ought to be playing? I think it's definitely still worth playing. I came to this game blind. I knew it was on our list. I knew not to look up any reviews or praise. So I didn't come in with the expectation that this was going to be the best game I'd ever played. Uh, which I think also helped me have a, there was a much more sense of discovery in the game. I don't think for me, it would be a nine out of 10. I think that um, the game is very different tonally than a lot of games, as I mentioned. And I think that the story has enough unique memories and it's a little bit more sentimental than a lot of games I've seen. Um, it is a hard game to talk about without spoilers. I, I don't think that it is astonishingly good, one of the best things I've ever played, but I do think that for someone who wants a bit of a break from the more powerful, more violent, more um, energetic <laughs> games, that this is a nice little uh, meditation. It's a very contemplative game and if you're in the right mood for it go for it it takes very little time do i think it's a 10 out of 10 no how long did it take you um i think it well steam says it took two hours i think it took about three but i was pausing quite a bit i i think i took about two maybe two and a half hours yeah two t between two and three um that's all mechanically it's nothing to write home about but there is a lot of that little bit of execution details that i like quite a bit like um, if you try to go to an area for example that's blocked off the game sound is <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of nice little details. i'm a sucker like for little sound effects and nice details and and there's plenty of that along with a good story to keep you going for two and three hours yeah, yeah if, if you're looking for a game that has a really well done sentimental story this is this is a good choice yeah, I totally agree. Um, I will say, though, that um, I think having read a lot of the coverage from 2011 before I played the game, uh, I was a bit surprised 
having played it at the level of the praise. Um, I think that this is a game with a lot of strengths, um, but I do have some reservations about it. And I'll get into some of the details as we talk about the plot in more detail. Um, but I'd say that the writing is largely very solid, but that made some of the places where I thought that the writing wasn't super great stand out. Um, and most of my complaints about the game actually have to do with details of the story and not with mechanics. I think that's probably also partly because this game is incredibly mechanic light. Um, mm -hmm. Apart from walking around and clicking a button to talk to people, essentially the only gameplay that you'll get is the little mini game in between memories when you're trying to unlock an object and you're playing a little tile flipping game. So if you're looking it's for a game with relatively gameplay, simple tile flipping game, yeah, yeah, it's incredibly simple. Um, yeah, and I'll say that I was on board for most of the story, but not necessarily some of the. Well, I was on board for the story of the man's life, but some of the ways that the, the characters solve the main problem, how do you get to the moon, I was colder on. And I think I was um, surprised after when I looked up some reviews, so many people mentioned that this was very cathartic, that they cried quite a bit playing this game. I have a heart of stone, apparently, because I didn't cry or have, I, I felt emotionally moved, yes, but in that I did not have quite the cathartic moment that many people mentioned, just bawling into their keyboards. Yeah, I, and that was not my response at all. <laughs> Me neither, I'm afraid. I, I did actually feel pretty moved by the game at certain points. I wouldn't necessarily, if you're... If you're an emotionally stable person, I wouldn't necessarily go into this expecting that you're going to break into tears. Will your heart be warmed? Yes. Will your heart... <laughs> will you start sobbing? Probably not. Um, I will have one little note on um, outside of the game, there are some bugs. Oh, yeah, um, we didn't talk about that. You should be aware that. of. Um, the game is. For me, it only crashed once. I know other people had more problems, but again, crashing once in a two-hour game is surprising, and I was cautioned to save quite often. There also are occasionally times where um, I had to Google um, how to get off a horse in the game <laughs> because I thought there was something I hadn't unlocked, and I was so and I was actually shocked that when I typed "get off horse two, it auto-filled to to the moon. <laughs> so many people had Googled how to get off the horse, which the answer is you have to click. Like I just wasn't placing my cursor in exactly the right spot. But there are little clicky, buggy issues like that that you should keep in mind if you're playing this game. I ran into a much more severe game-breaking bug that was essentially that um, there was a memory that you go into where you're watching a couple of characters have a conversation up on the cliff with the lighthouse. And I was walking up to them and suddenly I found myself clipping through all of the obstacles and I could walk anywhere, um, including up into the sky or off of the cliff and, and hang there uh, or up to the roof of the lighthouse. But I couldn't interact with anything, which meant that I wasn't able to click on the thing that I needed to click on in order to move to the next level. And... Um, but hey, you get to fly through the sky. It was very exciting, uh, but not not good in terms of progressing through the game. And that was another one that I had to Google because actually I reloaded a save and played through that same sequence three times and ran into the same bug three times. So um, when, I, when I did a little Googling, someone said, okay, here's the exact spot where you need to be in order to get back from this no clip area zone thing and into the, you know, clipping area where you'll be able to interact with things. And so I was able to get past it, uh, but don't expect to play this game with no bugs. And uh, actually, that's some good news. I did play through A Bird's Story, which is a sort of a pseudo sequel to this and a bit of a teaser for the next game in this series that is uh, has been in development for a long time. Uh, a Bird's Story is a... It's told similarly and with zero dialogue, but it's a really, it's clear that there's an improvement in just the technical level. I didn't run into any bugs. Everything ran very smoothly. Um, so I think that he's definitely learning to use this engine that he's using significantly better over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, it was, it was only an hour. 
Um, but it, it was nice, uh, but it doesn't have the emotional core that this game does. You know, presumably we're supposed to care about this little boy and this bird that he finds. But I mean, yeah, I didn't. Am I a monster? Maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> you monster. So now seems like a good moment for us to go ahead and have our spoiler break. So here it is, ladies and gentlemen, your spoiler break. Yeah, well, after what we've talked about already, which is that they can um, do the sort of uh, deathbed wish fulfillment memory wiping Mm -hmm. uh, that apparently completely overwrites the dying person's memories, which is kind of a grim thing. Yeah, I'm not cool with that. No, no. Uh, (laughs) When you get back to his childhood, you're hopping backwards. Uh, he, his mind is not creating the new memories as planned. Yeah. So actually, as we're getting back to that point, so as we're getting back yeah, take to us the, back there. the earliest parts of his memories where we would be able to seed that memory, um, we come across several mysteries of the plot, if you will. So I won't like summarize beats individually or anything, but the things that, that we are trying to discover throughout the game are first off, um, who is Anya? Uh, in some of, uh, we, we go back through uh, John or Johnny's memories. He's referred to by both names and occasionally also as Joey, which is a little confusing. Um, as we're going back through John slash Johnny's memories, we meet his wife river and it's clear there's something kind of odd about her and it alludes to a condition that she has. So we don't yet know what that is. That's a bit of a mystery. Um, They talk about someone named Anya, and it seems like this might be their child or maybe a friend, and it's very unclear who Anya is. That's a big mystery in the early game. Yeah, Anya's just set up as someone who River asked Johnny to take care of after she died. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we still have the mystery of why does Johnny want to go to the moon? And there's another mystery that we encounter pretty early on, and that is that around the house, our doctors begin discovering little paper origami rabbits. Um, and in his, in Johnny's memories, there's more and more of these things all over the house. Um, so what I thought was a really big strength of the game in terms of the plot is that it gives you a lot of these small mysteries and you're constantly discovering answers to things. So it's not really that there's one big central mystery to the whole game, although there kind of is. Why does Johnny want to go to the moon? But there's a lot of little mysteries and it gives you new pieces of little insights into what happened in Johnny's life in almost every moment of the memories. You're always learning a little bit of something. Yeah, I actually, uh, I think it was actually a, a red herring, but I had immediately sort of tied the rabbits to the moon uh, in what I believe is the wrong way, because in Chinese culture, I might be wrong, the, the moon is like, they, they the way we see a man in the moon, they see a rabbit in the moon. Yeah, and I kind of made that connection too, um, which isn't totally erroneous. It's but- not off base entirely but it's not the note they were trying to hit i don't think not exactly no yeah and i also was having thoughts of the thousand paper cranes yeah yeah that this might be tied to the illness um there's lots of different ways to take it i think they seem to say it's kind of creepy that these paper rabbits are all over the house they they find it funny they find it weird and they find it a little disturbing the volume of paper rabbits i mean i would i would find it a little weird I mean, if you went into a house and you didn't know anybody and there's an entire room full of paper rabbits, for some reason the light only follows a tiny bit of the room. So you just assume that on the other side of the darkness is just walls of paper rabbits. I would find that a little disturbing, too. There were moments where I expected them to start moving. (laughs) So as we progress backwards through John's memories, they're kind of broken into chunks. There's, I think, five overall ages of John or Johnny that are depicted. And so we see John as an old man um, comforting his dying wife, and we wonder what her condition is and why she's why she's getting worse. And then we see John as a slightly less old, older man, and uh, we get to know his wife a little better, and we see him interact with some of his friends. There's uh, a couple of other characters that are introduced, uh, Nicholas and... Uh, Isabella. Isabella. 
Mm-hmm. Their relationship was a little vague for me. Do you guys know who they were to John and to River? Well, Nicholas, you meet earlier in life as the young boy, friends from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and But Isabella is, or Isabel is someone who shares a similar condition as River, but is had it diagnosed earlier, so she's able to get over it. And it's very heavily hinted that it's autism. Um, mm-hmm. And so she is somebody who is living with it and is very um, able to pass as, quote, normal. So you can't tell if it's somebody who they met through therapy. It doesn't go into that background. I think that she and Nicholas are friends, but not necessarily husband and wife. They never hinted that relationship. Mm-hmm. But she's important, I think, to get a bit of another perspective on River. So I don't want to be too harsh with it because I do feel like this was pretty effective. But this was one of the first places that I uh, had a problem that took me out of the story a little bit. And that's that I was pretty confused about River's condition because it was never really made clear in the story that River had actually kind of two conditions. We know that she died of a terminal illness, but it's never said what that terminal illness is. Oh, I just, earlier, I thought they actually handled that pretty well. In one of the scenes, one of the things you click is you click on a trash can, it just says, uh, has a few orange hairs in it, and then she denies treatment. So it's hinted that it's chemotherapy and she has cancer. So I, I just blocked that together from, you know, losing hair and deathbed refusing treatment i assumed it was cancer i should have put that together but i didn't and i assumed that she had cancer when it said she was dying because i don't know that's just what people die of in movies and games uh, except for i don't know being murdered or being eaten in games that's a whole different matter but um i i, I kind of made that connection too being eaten <laughs> is disproportionately covered in games most of the times when i uh when i die in games it's spikes <laughs> So maybe she fell on some spikes. That makes sense. She had terminal case of spikes. Uh, But then as it became more obvious that they were hinting at Asperger's, um, it was never clear to me that they were trying to imply that she had two separate conditions. And so for the whole game, I was seeing it as some sort of weird late life onset degenerative terminal version of autism. It really puzzled me and took me out of things to kind of be under the impression that this was some weird made-up disease. Occasionally, the the game was being vague solely to let you have more information earlier in the game or earlier in the memory later in the game. So there was one time where people actually have a conversation like, so did you and River talk about that thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I told her about it. It was rough. She got real mad at me about that thing that happened a while back. I was like, okay, one of the memories later will be whatever this thing is. Or they only Um, ever referred to River's, uh, you know, problems as her condition. They never say anything about her actual diagnosis. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of examples of things like that where I think this story might have worked better with less mystery and more detail in some places. I think it's being evocative so it could fit as many different places as possible. The only times that it got on my nerves were when it was very specifically dropping a hint where I think people would give more detail. Um, again, would you like to talk about that thing? I'm, I'm being very <laughs> literal. Those are the words on the screen. Um, I think sometimes the need to keep mystery is just a little bit overboard. Kind of a mystery cop out. Yeah. I mean, you can hint at something and be very clear and then give more details later. So as we discover more details, we do get answers to some of the other mysteries of the plot. For example, Anya, that they'd referred to essentially as a person, is actually the name that they gave to the lighthouse that stands behind their house. And then that sort of leads you to another mystery of why did River have such a connection to this lighthouse? Why did she name it? And why was it so important to her that it be saved even if that meant her rejecting treatment for her, presumably for her cancer? So it did a pretty good job of giving new mysteries to replace the old ones as you learn new details. Um, And that really did carry me through the story. I was still really interested in, in what was going on all the way to the end. 
One thing, um, the inner, the uh, when you save, you also have a column of notes um, where you get a little bit of you know, a few objects and a few uh, different things. Sometimes used for jokes, for example, um, acrophobia, you know, things that these kids don't actually have. Um, but often it's used to update with information later. So you'll get information on um, a book, on pickled olives, on Dr. Neil Watts, and the descriptions will change as you learn new things. So as the memories are getting rewritten, as we're getting better information, the notes are just automatically updating, uh, showing that you know it's a bit nebulous. This is one guy's, you know, I don't want to get to unreliable narrator, but this guy is, in his own memory, remembering what he thinks is important. And sometimes he doesn't give us the information we need to determine what's actually important to get him to the moon. After, uh, after we finally get to one of Johnny's oldest memories that we can reach, there's a point where we can't go any further for some reason. And in the world of the game, in the memories that they're exploring, this kind of looks like a big gap that they, the characters literally can't get across and they can't go any farther back in his memories for some reason. Um, and they try implanting the wish to go to the moon at that point, as far back as they can go, and they're not successful. Nothing seems to change, and uh, his memories stay basically the same. He never uh, becomes an astronaut or goes to the moon or anything like that. He still continues on the life that we've already seen. I actually don't remember how we how we got past that block. Do you guys remember? Yes. Uh, so they actually decide to sleep on it. Um, everyone goes into their separate spots. And uh, Dr. Watt takes on a phone call to the tech support guys who say, it's not a problem with us. We check the medical records. And um, we have evidence that Johnny took beta blockers at a young age to erase or correct a memory. So where I would hear that and say, oh, we probably shouldn't go into this horribly traumatic incident in this guy's childhood. They think, great, we'll just have to strengthen the memory with a scent um, that was remembered on that day, um, the scent of roadkill. <laughs> and so you go out and collect the roadkill. Conveniently, you ran over a squirrel in the first scene of the, <laughs> of the game. Um, open it next to the unconscious body of Johnny, and this lets them bypass the... Uh, physical barrier in his mind to get to that traumatic incident. Which again, I kept saying, why are we going here? Also, I really was upset that beta blockers were introduced because it seemed like such a an anomaly. It's a plot MacGuffin. It's such a um, plot MacGuffin. It's beta blockers. Okay, so yeah, let's take a moment oh. and talk about this because this was another one of those things that really took me out of the story. And I think that on a game that is carried entirely on the basis of its story for such a enormous part of the game to be such a, what I think is sort of a flawed plot element, it's not picking on it to talk about those flaws. Um, I actually looked this up because when it said that they erased Johnny's memories uh, that at some point someone had sort of erased Johnny's memories with beta blockers um, or at least erased some specific part of Johnny's memories with beta blockers. Yeah, it's like, uh, did he have a heart problem? <laughs> well, so I, I looked this up and this is actually something that I think is just a product of the times that the game came from, which is weird to say about a game that came from 2011. But in 2009, there were a ton of pop sci articles about how um, beta blockers, which are a type of medicine that's often used for heart conditions, can be can be used to help people with post-traumatic stress disorder by sort of erasing their memories. And the premise was that if you gave somebody a huge dose of beta blockers and then had them remember something, then it would they would recall it, but it would interfere with the process of their memory forming and it would sort of remove that memory or at least sort of weaken it. Um, and that they were considering using this f as a treatment for um, uh, PTSD. For, exactly, for PTSD. Um, and then that really went nowhere. I couldn't find any articles about that as a thing after that point. But I think this was some. This would have been something that the developer would have been reading in the sort of science press when he was developing the game. Um, and to, having the separation from that by you know having several years since that time and beta blockers are not something that people are talking about as a way of fixing memory problems. Like that's not. 
I hadn't even heard of that, except that I vaguely sort of kind of remembered it from 2009. For that to be such a major element of the plot here just rang really false to me. Well, and the solution, I actually had less problem with the, the word beta blockers did take me out. But I think I had more issues when I actually got to what the instant was. And it was, um, you as you're, you're in this uh, memory, you see a piece of roadkill, you see a lot of children playing in the street. Um, and it's revealed that um, Johnny actually had a twin, Joey, whose mom was backing out of the driveway and hit him with a car and he died. Um, for me, the secret twin <laughs> didn't hit as hard as I think it was supposed to because I had so invested in the other, the primary relationship of the story, River and Johnny, that I felt that this was a detour that was taking something we didn't, you know, the man was, you know, 90 when he died. He had completely erased his memory of his brother, which meant that most of his memories had nothing to do with Secret Twin. So to suddenly <laughs> say this was the incident that changed his entire life really bothered me because that incident had, by design of the game, not actually impacted his life consciously. And so I felt it was a little difficult to judge a game that hinged so much on a secret unconscious memory when he was eight that didn't actually ever come up again, other than the fact that his mother called him Joey and said it was a nickname. Yeah. So after his mother runs over his twin brother with the car, um, she's the one who gave him the high dose of beta blockers to block out his memory so he couldn't tell the cops. <laughs> and how sad is that little sprite laying sideways on the pavement? That little sprite of the boy curled up and then Dr. Watt's like, huh, that's weird. Johnny can't die because he's our lead character in the game. Yeah. And mom is just crazy from then on. Yeah. And, and then, of course, no one mentions this kid's twin brother to him for the entire rest of his life. Right. And all mom, they also show his wedding, which is a really lovely moment. You get to see the two of them dancing in the lighthouse in the river and... Um, obviously not secret dead twin, but River and Johnny are dancing in the lighthouse. And But the only weird thing about the wedding is his mom is walking around saying things like, I'm so proud of you, Joey. Yeah, his mom's and clearly unhinged the, by the event. His mom's clearly unhinged, but actually not clearly unhinged. His mom's just calling him Joey. And it's just so odd that the game's linchpin is on a secret that there was no way of knowing other, you know, except for the fact that there were bunk beds uh, in the kids' room. I didn't even make that connection. Yeah, I, I didn't make the connection with the bunk beds either, and that actually makes sense. So there is one earlier memory. Now that we've gotten past this gulf of memory caused by the beta blockers, um, we can go back further to one earlier memory, and it's the memory in which River and John meet for the first time. Um, John thinks he met River in high school, Uh but in fact, he met River when they were both eight and they were at a fair. And actually, in some ways, even, even with the flaws that came just before, the fair was maybe my favorite scene in the game. Um, the ship totally righted itself at this point. It did. It, I, was, I was pretty sure I thought this story was going to be stupid after this, uh, this beta blockers moment. But then we got back to that fair, which... Uh, incidentally reminded me a lot both visually and sort of the music of the millennial fair in um in chrono trigger i'm pretty sure it was like a specific reference to it and it it so you know obviously i loved that and so i was immediately like, okay well this is kind of like the millennial fair this is kind of neat I'll, I'll play i'll keep playing this will be all right and uh, you play through some little fair mini games, which are kind of okay. And then uh, River and Johnny meet for the first time. River is this kid that can't connect with other people. And uh, obviously, you know, heavily implied that that's because of some sort of autism spectrum. Uh, and she's away from the fair, kind of hanging out on her own, looking at the stars. And John comes to sit with her. And they have a very sort of nice scene that I thought was really sweet. 
where they looked at the stars together and they invented constellations. And the constellation that they invented was a rabbit with its belly being the moon. And as John is leaving, they, they agree to meet there again uh, later on. And as an offhand comment, um, he said, you know, River says, well, what if we can't? And uh, John says something like, well, then we'll meet up on the moon. We'll regroup on the moon. And this conversation is so important to the story that the entire art style changes. Um, we've been seeing this, you know, typical JRPG look, but suddenly it's a hand-drawn cutscene. It's in a very, um, you know, there's lots of grass and rich colors. There's no more pixel art. Um, and they have this conversation looking out on the bench. Um, and the language is very evocative and beautiful. And it becomes, again, I said the ship righted itself. It is a moment where the story realized what was important to the story, invested time in it. The writing there is very polished, very good, very evocative, very emotional. And you understand why this memory, losing this memory, would haunt Johnny. Yeah. And it was rough for me because this conversation, the loss of this memory, seemed more important than losing his brother. And I think the game wanted me to see them on equal weight. Well, I think actually, in a sense, the game does see losing this as more important than losing the brother. Losing the brother is the moment when Johnny loses his memories of basically everything that happened before that in his life. But River doesn't lose those memories. And so the essential you know, conflict uh, of the story is that River wants Johnny to remember this incredibly meaningful moment when they met that shaped her entire life and she marries this man, but Johnny doesn't remember it and only remembers uh, meeting River as a sort of a dare in high school. Um, and so all, because she's not able to express herself well, um, she tries to get Johnny to remember this memory for the rest of her life uh, by folding paper rabbits and uh, hinting at things about the stars, uh, but never truly sort of just saying, why don't you remember? Um, which actually emotionally did kind of get me. You're right. I think saying the ship righted itself is an incredibly way to put it, incredibly good way to put it. But that's not the end of the game. So we get a sort of a conflict between the two doctors. The two doctors are a little bit different personality-wise. Uh, Dr. Watt is goofier. Um, he's the kind of guy who earlier in the game just hops on a horse and then runs off and gets, you know, sort of trampled by the horse. But, yeah, it's a game. He's fine. Um, Ava's, uh, Dr. Rosaline is much more um, cautious, much more um, serious, keeps, keeps telling him to take the job seriously, that there's a job to do, that the man is dying. Yeah. So once she sees a way forward, she grabs it, and she decides that the way to solve this is to uh, remove uh, River from the timeline so that Johnny will go to the moon. Mm -hmm. Because if he remembers that conversation, he remembers that drive to go to the moon, and River is no longer there, that he will go to the moon to find her. Whereas, you know, and Neil, Neil's unsentimental. He's kind of a joker, but through the plot, he's kind of picked up. Now, and, and that's not to say that he's gone all in on this relationship. He though. has, he, he's, he's really gotten, he's into totally it. a shipper. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and Ava, she is actually a sentimental person. You get the sense. She's the one that's more observant about the different characters, emotions. And, um, you know, so it's actually an interesting dynamic there that the one who seemed to be the most, the, the slightly more sentimental one actually is the one who wants to just buy the book, get the job done. He said he wants to go to the moon and um, his relationship with his wife be damned. We're going to rewrite his memory. So he goes to the moon. Um, whereas Neil, uh, who seemed to be only just interested in this as a job, actually thinks that that's a horrible idea. Removing the central relationship of his life, his relationship with River, just to make him an astronaut, that seems like a horrible betrayal. So yeah. suddenly they're in conflict and you're controlling Neil trying to stop Ava from overriding all of Johnny's memories with a timeline in which River never existed or didn't exactly never exist. She leaves the earliest memory when they meet. Um, so that he'll have that drive to go to the moon, but then she's gone from the rest of his memories. 
Yeah, and it, it's it's a it's an interesting conflict because it's it's really his desire. I don't think was to go to the moon. His desire to go to the moon was reflect was a reflection of his desire to reconnect with his wife. Exactly, but you know what he wants and what he says he wants are now two different things, and we're pulled in those two different directions. Um, this really reminded me of the sort of third act of Eternal Sunshine to the Spotless Mind, and I think that's why this uh, this game gets compared to that so much. Not so much just the fact of the setup where you know, diving into people's heads and changing their memories, but more specifically this, which is this race against time and through this man's memories to try to save this relationship, this memory of a relationship. So after a series of increasingly odd little mini games where zombie versions of one doctor chasing the other, um, they actually end up, um, you see the memories getting rewritten and you eventually end up at NASA and, uh, Dr. Wyatt is a little bit forlorn because this means that River has not re-entered his life. Um, and you explore NASA. This was one of my favorite things about the game um, is that it was pretty amusing when they did finally get to NASA. NASA's just this big, you know, office building with like four floors. And they're like, oh, hey, it's the new astronaut. And the characters comment on this a little bit um, yeah, that that this doesn't seem very true to life, but it's true to life enough for Johnny's memories. You know, this is Johnny's picture in his head of what NASA is supposed to be like. And it's just this four floor office. Building. It's a four floor <laughs> office. With like a, there's a computer lab, there's a centrifuge, and then there's a launch pad. And that's it. <laughs> there's also some funny commentary. They look out a window and are like, oh, man, that you can only see the middle of the space shuttle. And they're like, oh, man, that tip in the bottom of the space shuttle are just gorgeous. <laughs> Pity anybody who can't see the top and the bottom in the space shuttle. Yeah, that was another of the really great moments of humor in this. The humor really tends to comment on the sort of gaminess and how, how well, how, and how sort of out of place the video gaminess of this is in such a sentimental story. Um, but it did a great job of using that humor to kind of lighten the mood. And here, this plot is accelerating. We're moving towards what we know is going to happen. What we've known was going to happen from the very first time we saw the title on, you know, Steam or wherever you saw it. Because we know this game is about going to the moon. And uh, we finally see that John is ready to ready to go. He's ready to go to the moon on a space shuttle, which, sure, why not? We'll send a space shuttle yeah. to the moon. Yeah, they, they have landing gear, I guess. And you could do that. In Johnny's mind, the space shuttle goes to the moon. That's fine. Exactly. Yeah. He, he, he's like, yay, I'm going to be an astronaut. In a couple of years, I'll get to go to the moon. They're like, oh, we have another new recruit. And in walks a very well-tailored version of River. And Dr. Watt says, I thought you deleted her. It's like, no, she just moved. I just needed her. I was hoping that she would get back into his life, but I couldn't control it. Um, they're like, that was a huge risk. Yes. Yep. And the game, of course, concludes with the space launch. You know, the um, as uh, as John, his body lays dying, he's living a life of going to the moon with the woman that he loved. And as the very last beats of his heart go, she holds out his she holds out her hand to him, and he takes it. Hmm. Emotionally, this moment really, really worked. Um, I didn't like lose my shit or anything, like apparently a lot of people did. Um, <laughs> But, you know, even thinking back on it now, I, I you know, it works. It, it's a it's a working emotional moment and more emotion than you'd probably see in your average game. Um, now that we've talked out the whole plot, um, n now I guess we can commence dumping on it a little bit, right? Oh, I was already doing that about the beta blockers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I already did. I mean, I actually like this game. It sounds like more than in anybody, but I think... For me, the I really liked the game independent of what I thought were some really flawed side plots. Hmm. I, I'd say I feel the same way, although I think that the biggest critique I have of this game, um, and I'm not sure how well I'm going to really put this because it's, it's a little bit of a soft thing. It, it's easy to critique a video game when you say the jump physics doesn't work right or the, uh, you know, the saving mechanic is really frustrating or whatever it might be. Here, my core complaint about the game is one that is more on a literary level and it's a, I'm probably not going to do a very good job of explaining why. But obviously the emotional core of the game is 
uh, John's love for River. And I don't think the game did a very good job of making River a character, um, particularly not making her a character that we could love. Uh, River is embodied by her condition. You know, she only exists as a dying woman and also a woman with presumably autism. I feel like we didn't we didn't see in her what presumably John did. I didn't see why this was the defining relationship of his life. I only saw that he met her when he was very young. I met a lot of people when I was very young, but they haven't defined my entire life with love for them. I, I think that we didn't see why that happened. And th that was the mystery. And when it was revealed, oh, you know, he met her when he was very young, younger than we thought, and they looked at the stars together, I just didn't feel it. I didn't buy it. Well, I buy that moment of connection, but I think it's, it is difficult to know that they were aiming for that kind of moment of connection the entire game. You don't realize that they're disconnected. Um, there's a scene where he says, you know, I want to be with her because she's not normal, um, which was never fully countered the entire game. Yeah. It was colored slightly differently in that um, the scene where they look at the stars because you realize that he could treasure her because she sees, you know, she sees rabbits in the moon. Like she, mm -hmm. instead of just doing a constellation with stars, she's the type who doesn't, who just considers the moon another star, that she has a unique take on the world. But the game cuts out her unique take on the world. Yeah. Through most of the, the piece and her side. Um, little strategies to get him to remember the past, um, it seems like she ends up living in the past much more than he does. And it's a bit of a tragedy because I did like a lot of aspects of her character, but she is so defined through Johnny. Yeah. That, and and it, and she, with maybe one more, one memory where she does something like, I think we could have fleshed her out pretty easily, but I think he thought enough was covered in her uh, love of lighthouses. All of her yeah. quirks were defined through, you know, she she is a photographic memory. Mm -hmm. She really likes, as an obsession with lighthouses, she um, has trouble connecting with people. She's getting diagnosed by a doctor. Mm -hmm. You don't see her do anything that is not related to her cancer or to... Um, her condition. Yeah. She, she is an autistic pixie dream girl. Yes. And we don't see their relationship grow either. Um, we see them meet and we get, we see some connection there, but then obviously Johnny forgets why he has a connection with this girl because of the beta blockers. And so in a sense, we see River love him, but his whole life we see Johnny love her without knowing why which is an interesting take, but I, I feel like if that's what, if that's what we're, we, we needed more of her perspective or we needed more of her character to see that love for what it was. Um, I, I don't know, I, I'm not a, a great literary critic. And so I don't feel like I'm really qualified to explain why I felt that this aspect of the game was so un, so imperfect. Well, I think you want in a relationship, you want to love both characters. And in this game, especially if you're delving so deeply into one person's memories, you need to make sure that the people that you have to invest in that are secondary characters um, feel fully actualized. And I don't think it's a literary objection. I think it's one that you see quite a bit. And it's in any case where there's a relationship, you have to care about both characters. And I cared about River, but more intellectually. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to care about her because she was important to Johnny. And that was enough to give me some emotional movement, but not enough to reduce me to a sobbing hunk of mess on my keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> I think this game would have been more interesting if we'd had, uh, I mean, I don't know how they would have, to have had to have reworked the plot, but I would have loved to have had scenes from River's perspective. Um, Obviously, this was entirely through Johnny's eyes, but I don't know. Put them both on their deathbed and dive into 
both of their brains? I don't know. It wouldn't work in the plot, but it, I really wanted more of River's take and River's perspective. And it was very hard to get that because, well, she's presumably autistic, so she's not telling anybody in the world of the game what she's thinking. Uh, it was that. So that that was the thing that really, after I finished the game, I thought, well, that was pretty good. And then afterwards, this ate at me. And I don't think I could give this game the kind of praise that a lot of reviewers gave it in 2011 because of, of this aspect of it and a few of the others that we've talked about. And the game did get uh, a ton of praise. It was a game of the year on a lot of lists. It was uh, uh, best story on uh, GameSpot's 2011 game rankings. Um, it had, uh, I think, uh, the highest uh, user-rated Metacritic rank for that year. Yeah, and, and I completely understand why if you didn't question how much of a person River was, you would adore this game. But I really think that if you if if you couldn't invest in her, it didn't work. Yeah. A lot of people love this game so much. What do you think that says about the reviewers or about the uh, the culture of I don't know. I think a lot of people are starved for relationships and games. Yeah. And I think that there are so few games that really deal with in depth with a romantic relationship. A lot of romantic relationships and games are very shallow. It's it's a genre that is normally not covered by games unless it's in a superficial this is already the love of my life or this person I met in the game is going to be my love of life because game dictates it. Yeah. So the or fact you get that the uh, game... Dragon Age style thing or, or, or where you can pick from a, among a harem of possible romantic options. And There are so many harems. And, and sometimes it's just like, hey, you know, these two characters are going to go have sex in the back room. This game actually makes you invest in a long-term relationship, which is really rare. Mm-hmm. And it does, for the most part, do it very well. It's just difficult because the... I think it's graded on a bit of a curve because it's unique. And I think that it gets most of the way there. And she has more personality traits than most women in relationships in video games. It's just a shame that those traits are only related to a condition. Yeah, I I think it's absolutely true that we do sort of grade this game on a curve because we are so starved for not just romantic relationships in video games, but we're starved for meaningful interpersonal relationships that have any basis in reality. Uh, You know, so many video games, even if they have a, a claim to decent writing, the relationships are not on a level with what you would see in well, reality, or even in, in decent fiction. And this isn't a dating sim. Like, a lot, what you yeah. get is courtship simulators. Yeah. Dating sims. Mm-hmm. And not to mention, like, the, there's not very many games that uh, deal with uh, the autism spectrum at all, Mm-mm. or that treat those characters as um, kind of important people. I mean, I, I, I can't think of another character like this in another game. And this game had two. They yeah. even induced for a minor character, Isabella, who just says, you know, I envy River sometimes because she n- was diagnosed late and so never learned to cover it up, which is a really unique perspective. I've never heard that kind of a message. I didn't know that existed. I didn't know people, I didn't ever think about someone who's pretending, feeling like they lost part of themselves. So that kind of stuff they got really right. It was just a. It didn't quite go as far as I wanted it to. Short steps, deep breath, everything is all right. So final verdict, I suppose, would be, yes, we think this game is worth your two hours. Uh, imperfect as it is, I think it's a really interesting game. Um, I deeply enjoyed the characters uh, most of the time. I, uh, definitely. And I hope it. you didn't listen to this if you hadn't played it, because I think most of the game's joy is in the discovery yeah. and letting yourself get pissed at. I think I learned more about how I react to games by what I got pissed at in this game than anything else. So, of course, this game will 
sometime, presumably this year, I think, be followed by a sequel called Finding Paradise. Uh, Finding Paradise, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it. I'm, I'm hoping that it, it brings back sort of that emotional uh, aspect that I thought was a little lacking in a bird story, and uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Um, uh, do you guys know what our next game is? Machinarium? I yeah. think so. Yes. So unless our order gets messed up again, uh, our next episode is going to be Machinarium, which was recommended by Laura. Laura, uh, give people a little teaser. Oh, what did you I recommend it wholeheartedly as well. Oh, good. It is a great game. Yeah, Machinarium is a point-and-click uh, venture game that is done by a very good, very distinctive illustrator about a cute little robot who's lost his girlfriend. It is beautifully illustrated. So It is gorgeous. I'll try and put a quick picture into the show notes or you can just Google it. But uh, Machinarium is a really neat game. It was in Humble Bundle 10. So if you're one of those Humble Bundle collectors like me, you probably already have it in your Steam library someplace. Um, and if you're like me, you probably never played it. So now would be a great time to go back and check that out uh, and give us your impressions. You can tweet at our show at at underscore short game. Or, of course, you can tweet at me. I'm Reagan, and I've been your host today. You can tweet at at Reagan K. I spell that funny. It's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane? At 8-Bit Shane. That's me. Terrific. And, of course, you can also check out our website where we've got some new updates that, uh, first off, the website's less slow now. I don't know if you've noticed, but the website's much faster than it used to be. It's still slow, but it's a lot better. Uh, we fixed some bugs. Uh, and, of course, there's a new page on the site that'll let you check out our upcoming games list. We would love to hear from you with suggestions for games to add to that list, or if you see games on that list that you're particularly interested in hearing about, let us know so that uh, we can structure our, our order and priorities. We love to hear from you guys. Thanks very much, and uh, this has been another great episode of The Short Game. Oh.